for us in the various messages that he provided uh, to the people over decades. Um, So as we look at it, we began in chapter 1 with Jeremiah's call, God calling Jeremiah into ministry, and then the consequence of that call. What did that call mean? That call meant that now Jeremiah was going to call the people to repentance and make the people informed about the judgments of God that were coming and the reasons. So we saw the one of the reasons, the extent of their iniquity, chapters 2 through 6, and the effect of their false religious system, the system that they developed, not under God's guideline, not following God's direction, but, you know, just whatever thoughts they had as they melded together their religious practices. That's uh, in chapters 7 through 10. Then we see an exhortation from uh, from Jeremiah to obey the Lord, walk in obedience to him. And then <clears throat> Jeremiah, as he's, we're going to see several times through the book where Jeremiah calls out to God. And, and so in this particular section we're in now from chapter 15 through chapter 25, we're going to be seeing God explaining some of the plans that he has to Jeremiah. Uh, he started in uh, 15 and 16 laying out this idea, the promise of deliverance. Everywhere God talked about his judgment, he also talked about deliverance. Everywhere we see the judgment of God, we also see the remnant of God, a faithful remnant that, uh, that God delivers. And so we have to understand when we come to Old Testament scriptures and we're going through Old Testament prophets, yeah, well, there's a lot of judgment. And sometimes we can get focused on uh, what some people would call doom and gloom, and we don't see the grace and the long-suffering and the patience of the Lord working in the lives of the people. We want to have our eyes tuned so that we don't miss those things. Now, chapter 17, we're going to be looking at uh, a principle of trusting God. What does it look like to trust God? Now, for us today in our world, it's it's kind of apropos, right? We're going through an, uh, uh, kind of a crazy time. I've never been a time like this. I don't know what to think or what to believe because the news changes every three seconds. Uh, somebody else said something. Somebody else said something else. Every possible way to receive the news is a little bit crazy. <clears throat> Whether, hopefully the only way you get news is not on Facebook. But uh, Facebook's crazy, YouTube's crazy, everything's crazy. Lots of information, but not a lot of clarity on all of it and what's going on. And then the question comes to us now as believers, are you going to trust God? Where's your trust? Where's your hope? If your hope is that the, the president administration, the president administration is going to come up with a solution to solve it all, your, your uh, hope may be misplaced. If your hope is that someone's going to appear on the scene and solve the economic crisis, well, that's, that's possible, but that's a different character that the Bible talks about, not Jesus Christ. And so we, we look at these situations and we need to ask ourselves a question. Where is your trust? Where is your hope? Because if it's in all these other things, those things will be shaken. So we want to understand something that Jeremiah is going to talk about is what does it look like to trust God? And, and the chapter is going to end with a, with an illustration, hopefully that, that can kind of bring it back around so that we can focus on it. So first he begins with this idea of God's reaction to our sin. We need to understand the, the gospel message is that we are sinners separated from God. We are guilty. Every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. 
There is no one who is not guilty before God. And so he starts with the extent of our sin. Romans chapter 1 says for, for you and I that, that everyone knows there is a God. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But it's not because they don't know God and they have not offended him. We are all guilty of sin. And here's the sin of Judah in verse 1. <clears throat> the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. Now, there's a lot of things we want to unpack here. So the idea is that the sin of Judah is written, first off, on the tablet of their heart. The idea Ezekiel brings out is that when we don't, or we're not in submission to the Lord, we're not in a, a justified position with God, we're not saved, we have a heart of stone. And so here Jeremiah is saying, on your heart of stone, on the tablet of your heart, is written in in a pen, a stone pen with a point of a diamond, your sin. Means <clears throat> the accounting of your sin has not been wiped away. Do you understand? We all stand before a holy God, guilty. And he's saying here, Judah is standing guilty. The, their sins are written on their stony heart. And it's not in pencil. It's not in ink that can be smeared. It's engraved in stone. Now Ezekiel also declared something to us. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Ezekiel said that God will replace our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, right? That's the picture of coming to God in faith, being delivered. But here, Judah's not delivered. Here, Judah's sins are before God, always written on the stony part of their heart, and also on the horns of their altar. Now, what does that mean? Now, see, when people would bring their sacrifice, they would tie their sacrifice around the horn of an altar. So if you look at the altar like a, a, a cube, a pit barbecue, and people would bring their, their lamb... And they would tie the lamb, there was a horn, something that came off of the corner of the altar, and they could tie their animal there, and then they're next in line. And then, then the priest would come and, and perform the, the sacrifice. So he's saying, on the horns of your altar, rather than the sacrifice, all that's written there is your sin. The idea... I think pointing to Christ who becomes our sin sacrifice, right? He who knew no sin became our sin sacrifice that we might become the righteousness of God. So my sin is declared over Christ who is sinless. That's the only way he can become my sin sacrifice. If he was guilty of sin, it's he's just like me. But because he is sinless and perfect my sins can be proclaimed over him so that his sacrifice is able to atone for me but here for judah the sins there there's no sacrifice on the on the horn of an altar all that's written there is their sin is their guilt the picture is there's not being any no atonement is being given no repentance is happening Jesus commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe so there's no repentance there's no reliance on a sacrifice there just is sin separating the people from the Lord well what's the effect of that you see the effect of this sinfulness in verse 2 while their children remember their altars their asherim 
beside every green tree and on every high hill. Now, when the Bible talks about that, part of the false religious system that Judah was into, that the northern kingdom was into, was uh, a worship system that, that uh, um, worshiped sex. In essence, that's what the, the Asherah poles, the Asherim were, the idea of going to every high hill. This was uh, melded together with this idea of, of rampant uh, sexual gratification, do whatever makes you happy, and that was their form of worship. So the kids, that's how they worshipped. <clears throat> they worshipped at the altar of sex. The parents and, and the nation had their sins all listed out. There's, there is a offense made to the God of the universe and guilt is everywhere. So <clears throat> God's anger is aroused. Now here's what we need to understand about God's anger. God's anger is not like yours and mine. I, I have a, a corona rage. I don't know if any of you have corona rage. Uh, I just wake up irritated. I'm tired of all the nonsense. I'm tired of everything that's that's going on. I'm tired of all the chaos. <clears throat> and so I take it out on the only people that are around, which is my wife, uh, maybe my dog. So Kathy and I have sequestered ourselves in separate parts of the house. Uh, I go to the man cave and she goes to the she shack. That's what she calls it. So she's in the she shack. I'm in a man cave. But but my anger, it just, it's, it's, it's brought on by a lot of different things, right? God's anger is not like that. God's anger is a predisposed position of wrath to sin. It's not a flash of <clears throat> passion like we have. It's predisposed. God said, if this, then that. It's not a, lo- a loss of control. It is rather very controlled. And when we look at God's anger here, beginning in verse 3, it says, On the mountains in the open country, uh, this is where they are, on every green tree and every green hill, everywhere, he says, Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil. Now this is not someone out of control screaming down the hall at somebody else. This is God simply saying, Since you are walking in disobedience, the blessings that I poured out on you I'm giving to somebody else. And the things he's going to start with, the things he's going to start with are the, are the places where the people are trusting rather than trusting God. Where's the very first place he starts? With your wealth. Your wealth I'm going to give to another. I could tell immediately that I had some issues in regard to trust and wealth when, not that I'm wealthy, but I, when Kathy's mom died, we put a bunch of money that she left us into a retirement account, which uh, as soon as coronavirus hit and everything dumped, um, that went away. Well, not completely, but a very large portion of it is gone, like <laughs> into the air. And everybody says, well, just hang on. It'll come back. Yeah. They say five to 10 years, it'll come back. That's nice. I lost five or 10 years of of being able to save, and I recognize when that became an issue that, wow, you know, I got, I got too much trust in that account being available one day. What I, what I need to trust is God. I need to have my hope in him. Uh, we think about, I know my kids, all, both of my kids are, are not working. And the places where my one son worked in Haley, which they shut down and told everybody to stay home, Right, and my other son, <clears throat> he uh, worked in restaurant business in Boise. So both of those things go away, 
right? That's all shut down. And, uh, and it's real easy to start trusting in unemployment, which uh, they've each been approved for, but uh, not receiving yet. Which, you know, you still got bills and all these things coming up. It's real easy to start to put your trust in all those systems. And here's the problem, guys, with the way our government works today. Our government is teaching its people to look to the state as the solution for all of these things. And what we need to be doing is looking to God as the solution to all of these things. Because God is able to take care of us without money. God is able to take care of us without all of these things we're hoping in. But the state, the organization, uh, the, the nefarious organization of the state, so I'm not picking on any names or whatever it is, that organization in opposition to God is looking for us to come to them as Savior. And what we want to do is go to the Lord as Savior. And I recognize, so when the Lord says, your wealth and your treasures I give uh, for spoil... As the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory, because you're trusting in all these things, because you're participating in all of these things that are in rebellion against me, then I'm going to take away the things your hope is in. So the first thing, your wealth. The next thing, loss of heritage. Look, you will loosen your hand from the heritage that I gave you. Now, it's interesting because he's talking to Judah, but it's so hard for me to look at this and see Judah without seeing the United States, to whom God gave a heritage. Now, we can argue about that heritage. I would say that heritage was founded on Christian principles and has, uh, in, in a very deliberate way, turned away from all those principles. So what does God say to Judah when they did the same thing? I'm going to take away your heritage. I gave it to you. I'm going to take it away. Your, your hope is in this, this heritage. This idea that you've always been able to come up with a solution and a way to overcome your problems. God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna loosen your hand from the heritage that I gave you. The second thing that they lost. The third thing, <clears throat> I will make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know. So often now when I turn on the news, I, I don't know this land anymore. It's weird. The, antagonism toward things of the Lord. It's interesting that in California and Kentucky, the governors came out today and said, no, no drive-in church for Easter. For why? How in the world are you in your car going to infect somebody else in their car? Doesn't make any sense. It, it makes sense that it's a spiritual thing, but it doesn't make sense in terms of spreading the virus. Getting in my car and driving to church to celebrate Resurrection Day is no different than getting in my car, and in fact, it's probably more risk, getting in my car and going to the store to buy something. So I can get in my car, go sit in a parking lot, sit in my car, listen to a service, praise the Lord, celebrate His Resurrection Day, and go home. And I have not put anybody at risk. So the lines are being drawn, and churches are responding. Yeah, now you're overreaching. Or maybe they were overreaching before. Now you're overreaching. But the Lord says, look, I'm going to make you serve your enemies in a land you don't know. You wake up one day and look around, and you say, how did we get here? How did all of this happen like this? That's the same way Judah felt. Only they're actually going to be in Babylon. And they're going to be serving an enemy that they did not know. 
maybe we know the enemy if you certainly on the political uh on the political realm but just the overarching idea that <clears throat> there is a system that wants to turn away from the lord and turn towards self-reliance the lord says i'll make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know for my anger for in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever god's never going to turn a blind eye to sin ever must be atoned for it must be atoned for so what does it mean to trust in God? This is, this is their sin before God. So, so where is reconciliation? Well, he says in verse 5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now, there's so many things going on in our world that parallel this right now. Right? That's so easy, right? Think about it. It's so easy for us to lift our eyes to the state. Solve this for me. Give me an economic stimulus package. Take away, pay our, pay our employment, uh, uh, pay for our workers, you know, give us all of these things. Where is my trust in that? Cursed is the man who puts his faith in man and makes flesh his strength. Why? Look at the next phrase. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. Because rather than lifting my eyes up to the heavens and knowing where my help comes from, in Psalm 120, understanding that God is my deliverer, I'm lifting my eyes up to the state. I'm lifting my eyes up for someone to, to help me. And God can use people and plans to help his people, but our eyes ought to be lifted up to him. Lord, you direct me. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. We lift our eyes up and know where our help comes from. He says, this idea, what does it mean to trust in God? It means not turn our back on him to turn our back toward a different solution. But we lift our eyes on him. Now the man who looks to man for salvation, he's described in verse 6. He's like a shrub in the desert that shall not see any good come. Now, I know, I moved to Idaho, and everybody tells me we live in the desert, and I think you're all crazy. As far as I'm concerned, we live in the tropics, because there's water everywhere in Idaho. Every time, I got my canals full of water right now. I go to bed, I open up my window, I hear the trickle of water. Now, maybe it's not a bubbling brook, but it's my bubbling brook, and it counts for me. So, we have water, but where I came from, where I came from was dirt. Jason calls it the land of the dirt people. We didn't have grass. In your front yard, there was no grass. There was no, I didn't own a mower for 13 years because there's nothing to mow. And you, we used to say there's a, there's a plant in the desert called a choya. I don't know if you guys know what a choya is, but a choya is one of the most wicked plants on earth. And if you bump into a choya, it grabs you. And then breaks off. Now you have a chunk of choya on you. All these needles sticking into you, making you unhappy. So if you reach over and you grab it with your other hand to pull it off, now it's stuck on this hand. So you actually got to get a stick or a comb and put it underneath and flick it off. Otherwise, it's just going to stick to another part. We used to say choya is just angry because it has to live in the desert. 
The Lord says a man who trusts in man is like a, a shrub, shriveled up shrub in the middle of the desert. No water. No life. Just an angry little bush. An angry little bush that will see no good come. Nobody was ever happy. Nobody walked around a corner and was happy. Oh my gosh, a choya. Woohoo! No, nobody. Not even crazy desert people are excited about them. No. But what does the Lord compare that to? <clears throat> he says, They will see no good. He will dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. <clears throat> so that doesn't seem good, right? But let's compare that to the other side. In verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. His trust is the Lord. His trust is not the stimulus package. His trust is not the tax return. His trust is not, you know, whatever, however we're going to solve our problems. His trust is the Lord. He wakes up and puts his hope in him. What is he like? He's like a tree planted by the water. Compare the choya bush to the tree planted by the water. This is the comparison. It sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. It's not afraid of the heat. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. I know that I'm not being the tree planted by the water when this anxiousness whelms up within me and I find myself afraid. But it's a reminder to me. It's why we said on Sunday, you know what, I'm gonna, we're gonna put up a red ribbon, right? For celebrate Passover, to celebrate Easter. but uh, I'm going to leave it up. My wife put up a red <clears throat> pallet. And on it says, in God we trust in our front yard. Because I want to remind myself, every time I come home, I trust God. I have to be reminded. So that I can be like the tree by the water when the drought comes. I still got green leaves. I'll be okay. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do what God says. We have a, a period. Well, we're going to see it as we, as we continue through if I don't take too long. Good news is, you guys are all at home. I could go for two and a half hours and you just turn me off and turn it on later. <clears throat> uh, but he's like a tree planted. His roots, he's going to bear fruit, right? He's not anxious in the year of drought, uh, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So where does the problem lie? Look, look at verse 9. Here's the problem. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, a lot of people don't believe that. Do you know that the heart is deceitful above all things? That's my heart, your heart, our hearts are a mess. The desires that come in our life must constantly and consistently be being surrendered to the Lord. Now, yes, Ezekiel says he will give us a new heart, a heart of flesh. But the point of that is that my sin's not engraved on it anymore. My sin's been washed away. But my desire I do battle with until the day I'm glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ. So until that time, I, I am going to struggle. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. So this needs to be addressed. And who can understand it? You don't understand it. I don't understand it. Why do we fall into anxiousness? Why do we struggle with our doubts and fears? But the Lord responds in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. And test the mind. How do I know how well I'm doing in trusting the Lord? Well, I'll give it to you in, I don't know if it's one word or two. 
coronavirus. Because while that's going on, I am able to come face to face in the mirror of my relationship with the Lord and see, am I trusting God? And then if I recognize I'm not, that gives me an opportunity, right, to confess, repent, put my trust in him, set that stuff aside, and be focused. That's what God means when he says, I test the mind. The testing, the proving that God does is for us, not for him. He knows where we're at. I need to know. I need to see. That's why the Lord has always given his word to the people. So that they can come face to face with a mirror of faith and see, where am I at? What is going on? The Lord says, I'll test the mind to give every man according to his ways. He's going to show us that reflection according to the fruit of his deeds. So like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they'll leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. We see the deceitfulness of our heart, but the faithfulness of the Lord. The faithfulness of the Lord to search our heart and to test our minds and to give us what we need according to our deeds, to show us these things. And then he shows us the destiny of the wicked. But if you're going to trust in riches, if you're going to trust in these other things, you may be like that partridge that gathers a brood that's not her own. But one day they all go away. You can... Follow all the advice, invest now in Amazon and triple your money and do all the things, whoever the, they are, <laughs> that they say to do. And you can amass great wealth, but if your trust is not in the Lord, it will be for naught. But it doesn't matter how much you have. Now what happens, we need to go to this glorious throne of the Lord in an attitude of repentance. Look, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. It's hard for us in the United States to picture uh, uh, the idea of a king. Uh, I, I think we do understand authority, but the idea of a king, absolute authority in one being. And here you have this picture of God as king, absolute authority, sitting in his throne, and the scripture tells us we have access to that. Well, you ever watch a movie about a king? You don't see little kids running up to run around the throne, right? I have always said here, Calvary Chapel, I don't ever want kids to be afraid to go into Pastor Jackie's office. So every once in a while you go in my office, you'll see toys on the floor, kids' drawings on my desk. Because that's not something to be afraid of. That's, the Bible says not to be afraid of, of coming before the throne of grace, does it? It says we enter boldly. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus Christ has given us access to the Father. We have access to that throne. It's a glorious throne set on high where we come in repentance like that man Jesus spoke of, right? Beating our breasts. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man went away justified. Why? Because he acknowledged that he's not okay with God. My sins are written on a heart of stone. God, you give me a heart of flesh. He does it when I proclaim my guiltiness. He does it when I ask, when I call on his name in repentance. Lord, save me. Forgive me. We have a good king with a good heart. 
Here's what he calls him. Verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel. Is he your hope today? He's the hope of Israel, but is he your hope? All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. There's no hope there. For they have forsaken Yahweh, the Lord, the fountain of what? Living water. That's where we go. That's where the tree wants to be planted, right? Psalm 1. That's where the tree wants to be planted, on the edge of the river, receiving sustenance, everything that's necessary from our God and King, the fountain of living water. Jesus said, if anyone comes unto me and drinks, what? He's going he's gonna to fill up with founts of living water. That's what believers are supposed to do. We receive that living water from the Lord and we spread that living water to others through our testimony. We come to the Lord acknowledging our sin. He forgives us, justifies us. We are made at one with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of that through the resurrection We hold fast to that. We hold fast to what he has provided. And the next thing Jeremiah proclaims, we can also proclaim. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. You are all I need. I don't need a dollar. I don't need a house or a car or my Harley. I don't need anything but Jesus Christ. I need you, Lord. You are my healer. You are my savior. You are my hope. So as Jeremiah makes this proclamation to the Lord, there's this scene where the people are saying to Jeremiah, well, give us the word of the Lord. Tell us what God wants, right? Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. Now, we're at chapter 17. The word of the Lord's been coming. Ain't nobody been listening yet. <clears throat> but they're saying, where is this? Where is this? So Jeremiah's going to give them. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Okay, here's the people's attitude toward Jeremiah. Well, f- give us the word of the Lord. So Jeremiah's answer is, I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. So be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. So he looks to the people and he says, I have not run away from being your shepherd. I'm declaring to you the word of the Lord. You're not listening. And nor did I desire the day of sickness. I didn't ask for this. I didn't look to God and say, bring judgment. I don't want to have nothing to do with this. Jeremiah said, I just assumed, go back home, put my feet up on the couch and await the return of the Lord. But that's not the days he finds himself in. The days he finds himself in is the day to fulfill the call that God gave him. So he says to the Lord, be not a terror to me. You are my refuge. You're my strong tower. You are the one to whom I flee. Let those be put to shame who persecute me. All these things they say in our day, maybe the worst persecution we'll face is a thumbs down. But in his day, they're going to throw him in a dungeon. They're going to beat him. They're going to try to kill him. They're going to try to get rid of him. He says, Lord, 
Let them be put to shame. Let them not be successful in stopping the word from going forth. But let me not be put to shame. I don't want to be disappointed, Lord. I, I put my hope in you. You're my hope. Let them be dismayed. But let me not be dismayed. Because we have to tell the Lord, I, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be dismayed. I don't want to be ashamed. But God, it's you that empowers me to fulfill those things. This is not something that I get from a self-help book. This is something that's given me by the Spirit of God, which has been poured out in my life. So we have to rely on that. Here's Jeremiah relying. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. There will be a day when the wicked will be wiped from the face of the earth, and that is a glorious day and a tragic day. It's a glorious day because there will be no more wickedness. It's a tragic day because souls will be eternally gone. Jeremiah saying, bring that day, Lord, bring that day. So then we have this illustration I told you was coming. The people are saying, give us a word of the Lord. Give us a word of the Lord. Jeremiah, you haven't told us anything from the Lord. We, we haven't heard anything from you, despite the 16 earlier chapters and a variety of other messages that Jeremiah had delivered. So Jeremiah is going to say, okay, I'll give you a test. You want a test? I'll give you a test. So the Lord said to me, go stand in the people's gate. Now a lot of people think this is the Bethlehem, uh, uh, or not Bethlehem, Benjamin. Holy cow, Bethlehem, Benjamin, close. This is Benjamin's gate, might be. It's a gate where the kings would pass and would sit. It's a gate where the most people would be able to hear. So he says, go stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out. They want to hear a word from the Lord, you go give them a word. And in all the gates of Jerusalem. So you're going to start at the people's gate, but you're going to go to all the gates. And you're going to say, hear the word of the Lord. Okay, you guys want a word of the Lord? Here's the word of the Lord. You kings of Judah. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Here, I got a message for you. You want a word from the Lord? Let's try this. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work. But keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. You want a test? Here's a test. Let's forget about all the other things that we've been talking about. All the false worship, all the idolatry, all the sexual immorality. Let's just put that aside and let's do an experiment. So Jeremiah goes to the gates of the people and he says, let's just try keeping the Sabbath day holy. So he makes a proclamation to the people. Now they can't deny that's from the Lord, right? That's in the Decalogue. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's part of the commandments given by God specifically to the nation of Israel. So here in Judah, he's making this declaration. He's saying, okay, you want a word from the Lord? Let's do this. Keep the Sabbath day holy. The people just said, hey, give us a word, give us a word, here's a word. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Look at the attitudes of the people, the heart of the people in verse 23. Yet they did not listen, here's the important part, nor, what's the next phrase? Incline their ear. Because out of their mouth they said, give us the word of the Lord, but they did not care. This is the point. 
This takes us back to the first few verses where the Lord said their sin is engraved with a pen of stone and a tip of a diamond on a heart of stone. They don't want to be reconciled to me. They don't even want to try. They won't even incline their ear. What did they do? They stiffened their neck that they might not hear. You ever try to get in a, I don't know, I've never done this as an adult. Well, I'm getting old, I forget things. My wife might change the story. But you ever been in an argument with somebody and have them put their hands over their ears and just go, la, 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 I can't hear you? This is what the Bible is describing. They would not incline their ears. They stiffened their neck that they might not hear. La, 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 I can't hear you, Jeremiah. La, 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 give us a word from the Lord. La, 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 right? I don't want it. I don't want it. Jesus would have said something about those kind of people when he sent the disciples out two by two, you remember? Kick the dust off your feet. Sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to argue someone into the kingdom. And I would say, you know, I firmly believe I don't have to prove God exists to anybody. Everybody knows God exists. Uh, What they need to do is repent. So calling people to repentance is the number one form of, of uh, witnessing I do. I don't get in arguments over the resurrection. I can, <clears throat> I, can, uh, I can debate that stuff with you anytime you want. But whatever I do when I'm witnessing with somebody, my goal is to call them to repentance. You need to repent and believe. Or you will perish. That's what being a witness is all about. The people hold their hands over their ears and go, la, 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 I don't want to hear this, this is dumb, this is stupid. I shake the dust off and go to the next one because the next one might be ready to hear the words repent and believe. I once spent two and a half hours in my living room with a Jehovah Witness going over why uh, everything that he believed is false and Everything that I was telling him was absolute truth. And we uh, went through this argument for two and a half hours. And at the end of two and a half hours, the result was he still didn't believe. And I had not called him to repentance. I don't do that no more. Repent and believe. Period. Turn from, you are a sinner. You need to turn from your sin, repent, and put your trust, your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And while that's going on, I'm praying in my heart that God would grant them repentance. It's not, I don't save anybody. Jesus Christ does it. But we can proclaim the truth. These people didn't want to hear it. Hands over their ears, necks stiff. Look at verse 24. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gate of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work in it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They and their officials, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen to what God's saying. Okay, I've got all these things against you. We've been talking about them for 16 chapters, but I'll tell you what. You keep the Sabbath day holy. And a king will never cease to sit on the throne of David. Let's try it. Sabbath days tomorrow, maybe. 
So he says to the guys, you keep the Sabbath day and I'll pass judgment. But the people wouldn't even do that because their rebellion against God, they wouldn't take a day off and not carry a burden and, and lift their eyes to heaven. Oh, we're not doing any of that stuff. I got plans. I got stuff I got to do. I'm far too important to give God any time. So, the Lord said, look, if you do this, <clears throat> this city will be inhabited forever. And people will come from everywhere to learn about God. The people shall come from the cities of Judah, the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negeb, and bring burnt offerings and sacrifices and grain offerings and frankincense, and bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. If you do this, but you know what, this little thing, this small thing that we look at, this is a little thing, and all these other big things were their problem, but the little thing was really the problem. They didn't want the Lord. Because they didn't want the Lord, sexual immorality was rampant. Because they didn't want the Lord, idolatry was everywhere. And they didn't want the Lord because they would not lift their eyes to the heavens and know who their help comes from. They wouldn't set aside their day. They wouldn't, they didn't want to pursue time with Yahweh. That's what the experiment exposed. God says, I know the heart. It's wicked sick and I'll test your mind if you will keep this Sabbath judgment can pass but the people would not listen verse 27 <clears throat> but if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden or enter by the gates on the Sabbath day then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it will devour the palaces of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched People wouldn't hear, <clears throat> even if it was little. A lot of times I think we think people reject the Lord for a lot of different reasons. But according to Romans chapter 1, people reject the Lord simply because they don't want him. Not because they don't believe he exists. <clears throat> not because they don't think he really died on a cross. These are all excuses that we use to justify a decision, a presupposition we've already made to reject Jesus Christ reject Yahweh as king. They don't need any of those things. What they need is to be called on the carpet, called to repentance. In God we trust. We print on all our money. But we should probably change that to in money we trust. In the economy we trust. Maybe coronavirus is a wake-up call for the United States of America and the world globally. Maybe we can hear the experiment spoken <clears throat> in Jeremiah's time. Where is your trust? Where is your hope? Where are your eyes lifted up to? May we repent of those things we have placed our eyes on and may we put our eyes on the only prize Jesus Christ our great God and Savior 
and look to him as the hope of all the world to carry us through. And may we, the church, lead the way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word, open your word, delve into the depths. <coughs> Lord, may we be challenged by what your word declares. May we be convicted, but we're not condemned, for there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have bowed the knee, if we have beat our breast, if we have come before the Lord in repentance and faith, then he has made me a just man, made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's calling me to be the example, to stand in the gap, to lift my eyes to the heavens and say, my help comes from the Lord. And I don't need anybody else. I need you, Lord. And as we proclaim that, God, may you give us wisdom that we can know the difference between what is from you and what is from the enemy. May our hearts of rebellion be quieted and may we lift a chorus of praise to you, Lord, as we put our hope and faith in you. For you are able to deliver me to that day I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded he will keep me. God, may we make that proclamation. May we shout to our nation, in God we trust. And may we show evidence of that in the life we live out before them. And in and through it all, God, may you call the wicked to repentance and faith. And may we be your hands and feet in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.